This is Hello Submarine, the podcast where we talk about random fringe politics. Today's episode is episode two. We are talking about the evolution of the far right in Canada. And as per usual, we're doing a deep dive. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Before we get into the episode, I just want to reintroduce myself, explain a bit about who I am, um, because I do recognize that these topics are very contentious and difficult, and that we are talking about really problematic things. So I want to clarify that I do lean pretty left politically, and a lot of the topics we discuss in this podcast do not represent my own views in any way, but I am very interested in them, and I'm really interested in learning about how people come to believe these things, and if there's anything we can do to bring them back, I guess. And I will say that I do have some grievances with the way that some people on the left kind of advocate for what feels like an intolerance of other people who don't subscribe to all of the things that we're quote-unquote supposed to subscribe to on the left. I think that refusing to communicate can can sometimes really just end up breeding more animosity and hatred and... I guess I just feel like we don't need more of that in the world if we can avoid it. And when we refuse to talk, we teach each other that our words don't work. And when people feel like their words don't work, they act out and they do things that can become more and more drastic in order to be heard and acknowledged. And I myself have been pretty intolerant at times toward people that I really care about. And I did that because we didn't see eye to eye on contentious issues, like, for example, defunding the police. And I've really had to walk that impulse back in myself to be reactive because I do believe that when I'm less reactive and more tolerant and more capable of showing up calmly and with an open mind, I might be able to find common ground with people and that they too could end up understanding my perspective better. I want to acknowledge I have a lot of capacity for this and I recognize that not everybody does and that's completely okay. This is difficult subject matter and if this isn't the place for you, um, I am in no way offended or upset about that. But I hope at the same time I can venture down these rabbit holes that are extremely interesting to me and be open-minded and willing to listen and learn, and maybe I'll come out on the other side with more information that I can utilize to bridge the gaping political gap that exists between the left and the right, because I just don't think that it's helping us. So that's, I guess, part of my mission here. And the other part of it is just to have a good time because these are topics that I'm already deep diving on my own time and I'm already having conversations about with my friends. And so I figured, why not make a podcast? And frankly, I'm enjoying myself. And this is by no means something I'm trying to make into a career. This is just a hobby. It's been fun thus far and I'm going with it. So yeah, 
mission part two is to just, I guess, try to have a good time with it. And I hope that it's entertaining to listen to, and I hope that we all learn something, and I hope we can just ultimately have a good time. So thanks for listening. Let's get into the episode. Thanks for uh, putting up with my ramblings here, and yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, I am Ariane. I am joined by Dylan. The uh, resident conservative apologist. (laughs) Well, (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) So we are here. Um, It's been a really long time since episode one. So for the two people that are waiting for episode two, thank you for your patience. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so we did our first episode on the Freedom Convoy of 2022. And then after that, we chilled for a minute, and now the Freedom Convoy is back. So um, we are not covering entirely the Freedom Convoy for this episode. But because we got into some of these far-right political movements in our last episode, it seemed like a natural progression to kind of get deeper into that. So we're going to be focusing for episode two on sort of the evolution of the far-right in Canada. This is a Canadian podcast. Dylan and I are Canadian. We're focusing on the Canadian aspect of all of this. So uh, yeah, we want to get into sort of how these groups form, how they evolve, how they pick and pull from each other, and how they drive movements like the Freedom Convoy and beyond. Um, We'll also cover some important definitions that might be helpful before we move forward. We'll cover some of the different genres of the far right, if you will, and we'll get into some of the history and try to follow it up to the present day. And then the last thing that we'll touch on is a brief update on the Freedom Convoy, which, guess what? It's back. It's been rebranded. We're going to touch base on some of the organizers and just talk a little bit about the evolution and what's going on now, because it has not ended. Okay, so I want to just shout out a publication that I read a lot of called Hate in Canada, a short guide to far-right extremism movements, which you can find on the Organization of Prevention of Violence, which is the OPV. I will refer to it as that from now on, um, on their website. Uh, So some definitions. um, They define far-right extremism as, quote, a loose movement animated by a racially, ethnically, and sexually defined nationalism. This nationalism is typically framed in terms of white power and is grounded in xenophobic and exclusionary understandings of the perceived threats posed by such groups as non-whites, Jews, immigrants, homosexuals, and feminists. Sound about right, Dylan? Sounds about right. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, no. Okay. So next, we're going to look at the definition of the alt-right as defined by Wikipedia. Quote, the alt-right, an abbreviation of alternative right, is a loosely connected far-right white nationalist movement. A largely online phenomenon, the alt-right originated in the United States during the early 2010s before establishing a presence in other countries and declining after 2017. The term is ill-defined, having been used in different ways by alt-right members, media commentators, and academics. So just at the top here, we're going to note that these terms are not... Synonymous? Yeah, and they're not necessarily well-defined either. And not everybody who the media might report on as an alt-right member is self-identifying as an alt-right member. Right. That doesn't mean they're not, but it's just like these terms are (laughs) fast and loose. Right. Okay, so there's this far-right bubble 
what is the overarching umbrella? What is the thing that sort of binds all these things together? Do you want to take a stab at that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you the answer. But... Uh, <laughs> Do you I, don't, I, I don't know. Enlighten me. You, you, no guess. I think lots of things bind them together. I don't know. All if of them, though. What's the through line? What is the one thing? There's kind of a, a set of... Okay, I'm just being annoying now. I'll just tell you. <laughs> yeah, just let me know. Okay. Uh, generally, it's anti-government, anti-authoritarian, and very often anti-immigration ideologies and violence. And there are many flavors of this type of bigotry. There's hatred toward women, people of color, the queer community, etc. But the through line is anti-government, anti-authoritarian, and anti-immigration rhetoric. That seems to be the thing that they all have at least mostly in common. So there's this common belief on the far right that the government is illegitimate and therefore Canadian law doesn't apply to these groups. Like they just don't recognize the government as their leadership essentially. Not my Canada. <laughs> is that like, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> it sounds like something the convoy people yeah. are shouting. <laughs> Hashtag not my Canada. <laughs> we don't know what that means. Full disclosure. <laughs> Um, so according to the OPV, there has been a recent surge of pseudo-legal documents and claims from these groups that are being used to fight against pandemic mandates or to even declare themselves as the rightful leaders of Canada, which is fun. Um, the, OB the OPV also states that they often rely on misinterpretations of treaties, both real and made up, to demonstrate their rights. I really don't know what more to say about that. I'm not sure where they're getting pseudo-legal documents, but we've seen some of the documents that have been flying around. Do you have, Dylan, tell, tell us about that, uh, <laughs> that thing you sent me when we first started talking about all of this stuff. It the was... Q-Key? Yes, please. The Q-Key. <laughs> oh, man. Can we, like, link that to all, all of our followers? It's just, it's this incredible in PDF for, uh, for QAnon uh, followers or supporters or what do you call them? QAnon supporters QAnon supporters yeah sure yeah uh that links every conspiracy you could ever imagine every single one together like hilarious spider web yeah like every single one it's like none of them don't believe like it connects atlantis to donald trump that's not a <laughs> joke <laughs> anyway uh i bring this up because these documents i guess float around and they share them you know with some sense of urgency and, and real world's meaning. Um, okay, moving on. <laughs> so let's talk about some of these far right genres. I don't know what better word to use other than genre. So we have um, first. Uh, where we will use, we said the definitions, but we will use both far right and alt right, but we're not using them interchangeably. Correct. I'm just going to, to be use, careful on that. I'm going to use alt right when I we mean, just went about talking about QAnon, on, but they're not. They are far right, but they're alt right. Some of them are alt right. Some of them aren't. Yeah. QAnon is huge. QAnon is all encompassing. Like people. But if there was an alt right group, wouldn't QAnon be the alt right group? I don't know. Like the way because they are alternative by every sense. The reason I I'm hesitant to sort of say yes to that is that. My understanding of QAnon is often that people people just get sucked into Facebook on weird conspiracy theories, right? Mm -hmm. And they're coming from different angles. Like some of them come from like the wellness angle, yep. for example. So they're like, they don't want to get vaccines or whatever. 
And they're not white supremacists necessarily. They're just people falling into these conspiracy theories that are being fueled by QAnon. So it really depends how you define QAnon. Because again, like the alt-right, there's people who are like spouting a shit ton of QAnon, but they're not identifying as QAnon supporters. Okay, fair enough. So that's like why QAnon is huge. Like we, well, we're going to have to do a QAnon episode, but it's, um, there are like academics that study QAnon as though it's like a religion essentially, like because it's, it's just going to be around for the next number of generations. Like they don't see it going anywhere. It's got so much momentum. And so many people involved. And, and again, people that don't know that they're really involved. They just are sort of spouting the, the theories. Conspiracy theories. Um, but yeah, so... So I wouldn't say QAnon is necessarily synonymous with the alt-right. But there's Not a, synonymous. a ton of overlap. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And just before we get into the different subgroups on the far right i want to just make very clear what i mean when i say the far right i'm using it as an umbrella term to sort of include everything like the alt-right QAnon, anti-immigration groups etc so that's how i'm using it and as we get into these sort of sub-genres of the far right i want to again shout out the opv publication entitled Hate in Canada, a short guide to far-right extremism movements, which helpfully split all of these groups into the subgenres that we're going to talk about. Okay, so the first genre of far-right is the anti-mask, anti-lockdown advocates. Uh, Many of them are peaceful, but there is a subset within these groups that are known to behave violently for their beliefs. They're known for spreading conspiracy theories that promote promote racist ideologies and harm and harm democracy. Um, and they've been known to take and promote ideas from within these groups to garner their support for more extreme initiatives. QAnon needs to be mentioned here. That's what I put in my notes. That's funny. Um, because many of these beliefs draw from QAnon-based conspiracy theory, theories, um, like the belief that Western governments and global institutions like the UN are corrupt and run by a satanic cannibalistic pedophiles and that Trump is the chosen one that's going to like save everybody from all of this. Um, so that's the anti-mandate people. Next is the anti-immigration people. And again, a ton of overlap with all of these, but just trying to sort of separate them if I can here for ease of understanding. So they have their origins in counter-jihad narratives, uh, xenophobia. They believe Muslim immigrants are trying to change Western culture. Um, There's been this sort of language shift in the last while where they're changing their narrative from race to culture. I guess that's like slightly more acceptable in their eyes. Um, So the Quebec-based anti-immigration Lamute, I don't know if I'm saying that right, portrays Muslims as a threat to the French language and secularism. So it's kind of just this idea that like they're going to take our culture away from us or something. And again, from the OPV website, quote, although xenophobia and anti-immigration sentiments are common among all far-right movements, those with these themes as their central focus have been more politically active and the most likely to form actual groups, end quote. Just thought that was an interesting tidbit to add. These groups frequently disband and reform due to various factors like in-group factions or public controversy. Some notable groups in this anti-immigration uh, bubble are 
the Soldiers of Odin, which later split and reformed as the Canadian Infidels and Wolves of Odin, the Patriotic Europeans Against Islamization of the West, or Pegida, the Northern Guard, the Storm Alliance, and the Yellow Vests. So the next flavor of far-rightness is single-issue grievance-based extremism. So these are people that are fixated on one thing, like taxes or abortion or feminism um, or anti-queer violence. They don't necessarily identify with all of the far-right ideologies, but their issues tend to intersect. So um, this is like incel culture. Okay, so then we have the most dangerous group, which is the neo-fascists and accelerationists. They basically believe that the Western world is going to die and it's falling apart. And so they advocate for acts of terror to sort of speed that up and make it happen. So they are very much about overthrowing the government, creating a totalitarian Aryan nation. They're absolutely the most violent. Um, these are the neo-fascist, neo-Nazi and white supremacist movements. Um, there was a website in 2011 to 2017 called the Iron March. And this was fundamental to establishing the modern um, neo-fascist movement. It was used to recruit members, train new members, facilitate activities, um, and the website was eventually taken offline, um, as many of these websites are. So some of the groups uh, under this umbrella are the National Socialist Order, Order of the Nine Angles. I feel like that should say angels, but I double-checked it. It was angles. Okay. The Atomwaffen and the base, the base, the base, it's a website, sorry. The base is a website that currently is a current forum that is one of the most popular among these groups. And then lastly, I will mention the alt-right. So we've tried to sort of clear up the differences here, but the alt-right is, is the last little bubble we'll get into. So this emerged in 2008 as an attempt to make the far right appear more acceptable. Ideology is that white Western culture is under attack by multicultural forces. The Proud Boys would be one um, group. They were recently in 2021 listed as a terrorist group in Canada. Um, there are new alt-right movements that are emerging in Canada inspired by white supremacist Nick Fuentes. They align with Christianity and conservatism in an attempt to normalize themselves and to sort of recruit from like-minded people. Um, they are known to critique and harass other alt-right groups for not pushing harder for the white ethnostate. And I think I already noted this, but I just want to say that many people on the far right do not identify as far right. Do you have anything you want to add? No. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, the timeline. Yes. Okay. Yes. Some of these groups are old. Some of them are new. So some most of, of them groups... have fallen. Some of them recently risen up. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So... All of the groups I just mentioned, I think, are new-ish. Okay. New-ish. All of those but are new. All of those are new names, but the mm -hmm. ideologies are old right. as fuck. And there is, like, a lot of overlap between, like, the Ku Klux Klan yeah. and many of these um, organizations. So we're going to get into, now that we've kind of done some definitions, we're going to get into the timeline of the far right in Canada during the 20th century. We'll take it up to the 21st century and up to present day. So let's talk about the rise of the KKK in Canada and why it matters. So Dylan, have you heard of the movie? I know you're a bit of a movie buff, so I'm excited to hear the answer. The Birth of a Nation? No, I haven't. Oh, damn it. 
I was hoping that you would have like heard of it, seen it. I think I've actually, I think I've heard, I've heard of it. I've, I've never seen it. Okay. Um, so it was released in 1915, first in U.S., then in Canada, same year. It basically glorified the living shit out of the KKK as the reason that order had been restored after the Civil War. It depicted black people as having been a threat to like the peace and wellness of society, and the KKK were the heroes that came and made everything safe for people again. That was like the narrative of the movie. So this was a raging success. It played multiple times in major cities. Um, it was originally called The Klansman. That, really? That, that was the original title. Oh, okay. Interesting. When did it change, I wonder? Huh. Well, raging success this film was. Um, and it, what it did is it acted as a bit of a recruitment tool. Mm-hmm. It really got people in the mindset of, like, the KKK is here to save us. And, like, yeah. I don't know, the dudes were like, yeah, I want to be part of that. And, like... So in the 1920s, the Klan was very large in the U.S., and they started coming through to Canada and recruiting. And like I said, this movie came out in 1915, so it was still fairly recent. And this movie continued to show in major cities for the following five years after it was released. So it, like, it didn't really go away. And so, yeah, in 1920, obviously, the people in the U.S. that were a part of the Klan were like, maybe we can recruit from Canada since they seem to be sympathetic. Um Canada was already really well, really well established in its intolerance and violence towards black people, indigenous people, Asian people, Jewish people, French people, Catholics, etc. Um, and the Klan was pretty well known for being able to exploit tension that already existed within communities. So by coming to Canada where there was tensions between like the white people and the indigenous people or the Catholics and whoever else, like they, they were able to sort of use that to their own advantage and and uh, recruit that way. They established themselves across the country, specifically in southern Ontario, southern Alberta, Saskatchewan, and the Maritimes. There was a ton of cross burnings that were held in this time, and they were also responsible for an explosion at a Roman Catholic church in Ontario. And in the 1930s, the Klan died out for a time. You good? When did the Klan come back? Um, not for a bit, but they're gonna, they're gonna come back. <laughs> um, so we're at the end of the thirties now. What do you think happened next? End of the thirties, Dylan? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm reading your notes. <laughs> You're cheating. <laughs> I'm cheating. Uh, it says your many clan members joined fascist and Nazi loyalist groups. Support of World War II and Nazi Germany. Yeah. So... Again, we talk about the clan dying down, but really they're just sort of rebranding, right? They're right. the sort of the leaders are moving into different movements. Um, the war was obviously a big deal at the time, so it, I guess it makes sense that they made that their focus. Um, but still, that fascist neo-Nazi attitude. Um, so that takes us to the sixties which brings a resurgence of the Klan. This sprung up in opposition to the civil rights movement in the States and Canada. And also, one of the reasons Canada sort of hopped on this bandwagon, or people in Canada did, is because this was when Canada started to officially sort of adopt its multiculturalism as part of its identity. And yeah, a lot of people really didn't like that. 
these are anti-immigration neo-nazi type people so they're not they're not very multicultural friendly Mm -hmm. um it's just more of the same anti-immigration bullshit that we always see from these groups um a bunch of them that were identified as clan members committed crimes and went to jail which actually caused them to not get a lot of traction and the clan dies down in the 80s so, Dylan, have you ever heard of the Edmund Burke Society? I think we talked about this. We've probably talked about it. Yet. Yeah. Do you... But I don't know much about it. Okay. So, uh, some fun Canadian history for you. That uh, I think the Edmund Burke Society is pretty relevant in conservative politics. Like, I've heard it in different podcasts that I've listened to. But ultimately, it started in Canada um, in the 1960s and 70s in Toronto, Ontario. They publicly held anti-communist and traditionalist values, but they had a hidden agenda to incite violence against, left, against leftist and anti-war movements during that time. So that that was their big like secret mission was they were like against the leftists. The leftists protested. They went out and were violent about it. Okay. And this is would have been at the height of the Cold War too. So okay, do you want to say more about that? I didn't really. Make that connection. The Cold War in the 60s and the 70s and, you know, capitalism versus communism. And, okay. you know, it was kind of raging on. Okay, so that makes, that puts a bit of context on the anti-communist yeah. values there. Okay, makes sense. Um, so they're very anti-left-wing. They tended to sort of lump the left together as one homogenous communist party, which is funny because that's what the right still likes to do. Um, and in 1968, this is... Deja vu, man. They spread propaganda that Canadian Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau was a communist. <laughs> Which, like, what's the difference today, right? They might be using socialist or Marxist instead of communist, but... And the Edmund Burke Society later turned into the Western Guard. So from the Wikipedia page, the Western Guard was a, quote, white supremacist group based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It evolved out of the far-right anti-communist Edmund Burke Society that had been founded in 1967 by John Andrews, Paul Frum, Lee Smith, and Al Overfield. End quote. Membership for the Edmund Burke Society declined in the late 70s. Also in the 70s, the Church of the Creator was established by Ben Clausen. This was an ethically based religion to advance the white race. I'm pretty sure they were like calling themselves an atheistic religion, which I have no idea what that means. Um, That's fun. Mm-hmm. This is where the term... Rahoa, meaning racial holy war, was coined. This term is still widely in use today by far-right extremists. And fun fact, there's a Canadian band that is called Rahoa, and their music was distributed by Resistance Records, a far-right extremist record label. (laughs) Who knew? I didn't know that record labels had political affiliations. Well, you learn something new every day. It's a good one. So in the 1980s, the skinhead movement came to Canada, and I want to note that not all skinheads identified as neo-Nazis or held those ideologies, but there was this shared aesthetic and this shared um, maybe interest in things like music that would then get used by the neo-Nazis to recruit from the skinhead demographic to make their cause seem more appealing. And as things progressed into the future, things like websites, internet forums, memes, etc., were also used to recruit from 
non-neo-Nazi skinhead demographics. So yeah, kind of a theme on the far right as we're seeing this, this push to recruit from semi-like-minded people that aren't necessarily holding the same far-right ideologies but are, are similar enough that, that you can gain some common ground. Mm. So that brings us to, I guess, Y2K. In the year 2000, the internet came to be, and far-right groups were some of the earliest adopters of the internet because they recognized its potential for spreading propaganda, recruiting, organizing, etc. A lot of what was left of the clan moved into online spaces at this time, often taking on new names but retaining the same symbols and ideology. Anything you want to add about the uh, internet coming in? Yeah, this was, I mean, most of the far right nowadays seem to be in 2022 online on the internet. Mm -hmm. It's been an incredibly important tool for them. I mean, for anybody who's organizing. For everybody. But for them in particular, I think it's allowed for a much wider spread. Obviously, this is true of everything, right? But so in the... 2010s-ish, this is the Facebook and social media era. These groups took to social media platforms like Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. They've been, as many people are probably aware, kicked Wait. off. Yes, please. Are you, are you telling me Nazis are on TikTok? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> They're, like, yeah, dancing? Maybe. They're, like, making, like, memes? They're probably not dancing. <laughs> <laughs> they might be. <laughs> Oh, for sure. They use all of these platforms. No, I, I I know they do, but that's just a really funny image to me, like a Nazi. Doing a, like a famous TikTok dance? Doing a TikTok, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe they are. We should look into it. <laughs> um. So, yeah, as, as we know, they get kicked off of these mainstream platforms regularly. Um, and what they'll do is they'll head on over to Russian social media servers or other platforms with less regulations like Telegram, for example. And what they'll often do, like with the skinhead movement, is they'll use art, music, memes, etc. to target the youth in different sort of factions of social media that are maybe close to what they're doing or maybe not even that close. But they're, they're trying to recruit, right, from these, from, from the youth, from like, I guess, similar mm -hmm. like-minded type pages or yep. followings. Um. And I, I think it's really interesting, like, you brought up the incel movement. I don't know if the incel, I don't know much about it, but I don't, skeptical of it started out as a far-right movement. I think it was just a subreddit for, you know, people, interesting. you know, who was had a always, hard time dating, right? And it wasn't, you're saying it wasn't always anti-feminist? I don't know if it was or wasn't anti-feminist. It might have always been anti-feminist or had a leaning against feminism, but I mean, in in cell and celibate yeah involuntarily celibate as you know it in the title isn't any sort of political agenda right yeah but i think i mean a lot of these groups on reddit for example are very isolated mm -hmm. and when you have a group that <laughs> has is leaning with slightly misogynistic values mm -hmm. then that is really great for someone on the alt-right to like grab a hold of that that's right yeah 
Yeah. Which is a really good example of, of So I don't know if they started out, but they were they were primed to be part of a far Absolutely. right movement. Yeah. yeah. Right. And and, the, and any group on the internet that is primed like that with yeah, specific like minded values can yeah. kind of come into the fold. Right. And the, the far right is extremely good at this. They're extremely good at identifying who's sort of like fringe, sort of maybe with us. How can we How can we get them in? And they won't do it by like being like, Hey, we are neo Nazis. Like they'll do it by like appealing to their this right. other group's values first and then sort of get them comfy and then they're like oh by the way right you know like we're white supremacists or something <laughs> <laughs> anyway we're anti-feminist but actually we're the clan oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so the that's kind of the social media era and then that brings us right up to sort of before the pandemic which i want to just touch on um before the pandemic, there was a, a few right-wing extremist attacks that happened in Canada, um, and they were linked very strongly to the incelibate movement, incels, and to just, like, far-right extremism and violence. So there was the Quebec mosque shooting in 2017. There was the Toronto van attack in 2018. And then there was a woman murdered in a Toronto massage parlor in 2020, I think in May. And that was also linked to incel terrorism. Um, in June of 2019, two groups called Blood and Honor and Combat 18 were added to Canada's list of banned terrorist organizations. And other neo-Nazi groups that have their roots in the Klan include Sons of Odin, Blood and Honor, Adam Waffen, Division and Lamute. Um, and then we also saw things like the United We Roll Convoy, the Yellow Vest protests, and people like James Bowder and Tamara Lich kind of appear on the scene. <laughs> so that's all pre-pandemic. So now we are going into the pandemic where things really started to get yeah. heated. Anything you want to say? Yeah, it's 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 worth knowing that Canada leans a bit more, even though we're capitalist, we lean more socialist than the United States. I mean, everyone leans more socialist, socialist than the United States. Not hard to do. But yeah, I mean that's that's just worth noting. And so, I think I think there are some legitimate objections to how any government handled the pandemic. Sure. Right, and especially you know. It's still an ongoing conversation about what our rights are as people during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something we talked about in the in the first podcast is some people had legitimate objections to, well, we've had our rights taken away for a couple of years now about travel and this and that, even though that's a basic human freedom. When do we get that back? And But there's also a difference between, you know, being kind of cautious about those and then also being a far-right extremist. Mm -hmm. And I think when the government makes socialist mistakes by encroaching on those rights too much and people are like a little bit upset about it, that's a great opportunity for the far-right to step in. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, think I, I think most of the time, like the anti-mask, I want to say, I don't know the statistics, but I want to say most of the time, the anti-mask, like anti-travel mandates and all that kind of stuff isn't extremist usually. But it's a great vehicle for right. any far right agenda. Yeah, it's not ex like the the 
freaking like soccer mom from Saskatoon who's driving down to the convoy because she doesn't like masks on her kids isn't necessarily right like a far right extremist, but uh, she's she's in the places on the internet very likely that and the way that the internet works as well to sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for radicalized radicalized <laughs> there you go so, so Jagmeet yeah. Singh um, leader of the NDP. He was talking about Justin Trudeau and he was talking about like, I mean, you know, easy, easy jab during these times for a leader of the NDP. He was talking about how, you know, he agrees. He's a leftist. He agrees with the the mask mandates and all those stuff, um, all those things. But he thinks the Liberal Party has done a really, really poor job at explaining to the citizens of Canada uh, when they're getting their rights back. And so even as a liberal, this is like, this isn't a conservative person. <laughs> even as a liberal, they were like... You mean as an NDP? As an NDP. Yeah. Well, NDP is liberal. Yeah, he's right, right, yeah. I just mean yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, just for anyone who's not clear, uh, we have a conservative party in Canada. We have a liberal party and we have an NDP party. We do have more than that, but those are kind of the three contenders in any election. Yeah, and NDP is liberal leaning, but they're not the liberal party. No, but yeah, they're, they're probably lefter the... than the NDP or than the liberal they're much lefter than they're much lefter than yeah. The, yeah they're they're much far left so even the leader of the like the left most left party in canada had some had yeah. some issues with like the mass stuff yeah right and i don't think you're necessarily a far conservative for having some problems with how the government handled some of that well and a, the thing too to note is that a lot of people that get caught up in these conspiracy theories they're not politically inclined people they're not people who are reading the news every day or who are aware of government movements like they just yeah. have no fucking idea and so to to even most of us are just average people we're right. just like we're just we're living our lives and the government pulls some bullshit and we're like you know yeah most of us are just average folk and we're living our lives and you know the government puts some sort of mandate down and some of us go with it and some of us have a legitimate problem with how it impacts our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I just want to really like call out that um, a lot of these people are not politically aware. And so yeah, yeah. when they come onto the scene, they're like sitting ducks and they really are just like, you know, kind of in this like ignorant place of just like, I don't, they don't necessarily know what they're talking about. They have some grievances and um, to sort of align them with any political party would be incorrect because they're just... They're not politically aware. They're not politically aligned. Right. They might have ideas and they might have values that align with one or the other, but they themselves are not coming in as like active as activists, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think for I think the pandemic saw a lot of people become active in one way or another that weren't that weren't before. Yeah. Because it gave us all a lot of time to just kind of <laughs> look into how. Things also, were I mean, also it was a politically strange situation that we haven't been through That's before. That's absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. There was a lot of things that were happening and coming out that again like what what are your rights as a person during the pandemic mm -hmm. the game has kind of changed yeah so i want to chat a little bit about a study that was done um there's a cbc news article about this study called canadians among most active in online right-wing extremism research finds so this was uh this was published by the institute for strategic dialogue it was a 47-page study called An Online Environmental Scan of Right-Wing Extremism in Canada, and it was funded in part by Public Safety Canada. They studied 
a ton of channels on the internet and a channel would could mean like a online page an account or some sort of group within a social media platform and they found that um canadians were active in 6600 different channels globally and that canadians were more active on average than people in the u.s and the uk um, the article notes that not all of the talk on these channels on these channels is illegal or hate speech, but it notes a rise in violence, mobility, and coordinated misinformation and hate. Um, these groups are frequently deplatformed from social media, but they'll often spring up in less regulated spaces like Telegram or 4chan. And the study also found that Canadians are more likely, on average, than any other country to post on fringe forums like 4chan. And it noted that Canadians seem to be especially responsive to anti-immigration and anti-Muslim rhetoric. So the pandemic and all of the mandates that came with it, plus the anti-racism movement of, you know, that began in 2020, it did a lot to fuel these groups. Not to say that those things are to blame, but that the right uses these types of things to sort of fuel their hatred, fuel their motivation and, and fuel the message that they're trying to spread around. So right. there was, it was a really strong breeding ground in 2020 for a lot of this stuff. And I believe this study was yeah released on June 19th, 2020. So this is all pre pandemic. So you can imagine with the pandemic and with like the way we saw these things rise online during the pandemic, that this, these are already overwhelming numbers. It's already pretty upsetting to find that Canadians are more, um, you know, on more of these channels than any anywhere else, anywhere else, we're we're at the top. We're the most we're the most involved, according on average. So you know, there's not more Canadians than Americans, but on on average, there, right. there's more Canadians. So yeah, per capita. Yeah, that's correct. Thank you. And a lot of this, I'll just note, happens on Twitter. So Twitter's a nice big driver of these things. So that brings us to present day. We're still kind of in the pandemic-ish. Kind of. I mean, cases, based on the cases we are, based on the rules, we're not. So so I guess the, the takeaway from this timeline is that groups like the KKK and the creativity movement, um, they're much less pronounced, but their symbolism and their ideology lives on in various extremist groups to this day. And that goes for subtle methods, like rebranding yourself, but that also goes for non-subtler methods. Like there are just straight up neo-Nazis. Absolutely. And there are straight up just is the clan still. Yeah, right. Right. There's, um, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think with like the clan, at least based on my research in, in Canada, and I'm not at all stating anything about the United States, like they, they wouldn't have like any public support as the clan. Like if they like literally labeled themselves the clan, it seems like, mm. It seems like they need to sort of keep this momentum of hmm. rebranding so that they're not immediately canceled by like everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there does seem it's interesting how these things evolve because it's like it's still the same old shit. Right. And it's still just as hateful and just as harmful. But the right still seems to need this type of rebrand to make it seem okay. Right. I don't know. It's just like a really interesting thing that happens. So that brings us to the famous Freedom Convoy, which is present day and ongoing. So we wanted to chat a little bit about some updates. This um, 
as it stands, we're not planning on doing a part two, but if, you know, th this weekend today, what's the date? Saturday, April 30th, the convoy is in Ottawa and they are present in a way that they haven't been since they were there for the two, three week period back in, was that January, February? So yeah, there's um potentially a lot more to come and this is very much like as it happens. So we are we can give some updates about sort of the initial convoy and then we can talk about what's going on right now. So Pat King, who we chatted about in the first episode, um, one of the major organizers of the Freedom Convoy, someone who holds very problematic white supremacist views, um, he is still in prison to this day. And as far as I'm aware, he's the only major organizer that's still in prison. There was a bail hearing on April the 13th, and it was abruptly adjourned, and there has been a publication ban on any of the details surrounding this hearing or its abrupt conclusion. It does not appear that he was granted bail at this time, and there is a fundraiser in place to cover his bail review and trial, which has apparently raised over 60k, but all of this was donated privately via e-transfer, so that number hasn't been verified. And their goal is to reach over 100K. And then, of course, there's Tamara Lich, who we also talked about at length in our previous episode. She is still awaiting her trial, but is out on bail. She is currently appealing her bail conditions, which include restrictions on her use of social media, lol, and a review date has not been set. And just a reminder, she was like, I believe we called her the mother hen of the convoy. She is a major organizer. She was the biggest name um, she made the news a whole bunch of times and was arguably the most major organizer of the entire affair. So that's Tamara Lich. So then on Saturday, March 26th, the convoy returned to Ottawa. There was approximately 300 vehicles involved um, in what police were calling the next generation convoy. The police escorted the convoy through town. And other than it being disruptive for residents, it doesn't sound like it was anywhere near the same as the occupation that occurred a few weeks prior. Their grievances remain the same, including the federal travel mandates. And, uh, oh, this one was surprising. The vaccination mandates in universities, that seemed to be a, a pain point for them. Um, but that's all mandated at a university level. So why they were taking it up in Ottawa, I don't know. So as for James Bowder, who we chatted about briefly in episode one, he was the one responsible for the Canada Unity website and the original instigator of the 2022 Freedom Convoy. He's a far-right activist and QAnon conspiracy theorist. He was briefly arrested with his wife and he was let go shortly thereafter. I don't think we covered his arrest in episode one. Um, so since the convoy... He's been planning a super protest, which took place on April 10th, I believe, um, during the Vancouver TED Talk where Bill Gates was scheduled to speak. And the protest was really against Bill Gates and this idea that there's a globalist movement of lies around the pandemic and that Bill Gates is kind of at the heart of that. Um, just QAnon conspiracy stuff. The usual. Um, so that's what he has been up to. I really couldn't find a lot of news coverage 
on that super protest, I was able to find a YouTube video on Rebel News Canada, which is, as far as I can tell, a right-wing QAnon-style news network. Um, I found a video on their YouTube covering some of it. So it did happen, but it was it sounded like it was supposed to be a lot bigger than it was, and, and it ended up not being um, quite as large. It sounded like James Bowder was hoping for like a multi-month big scale protest, which just fortunately wasn't what happened. And then the final organizer we touched on was Chris Barber. And just a note, I could not find any updates on him. Okay, so this weekend, the convoy has evolved a little bit. It's now a biker's convoy. <laughs> it's been revamped. I didn't know that. Well, it's it's very similar to the truckers convoy where there's some bikers. Right. Like there were some truckers, but it was not majority bikers or majority truckers. There's trucks in this current convoy. There's bikers. And then there's a ton of just people who are not truck truckers or bikers who are, again, getting involved in the convoy as they did the last time. So they have rebranded as the drumroll. Do you know the name? Rolling Thunder Convoy. Oh, that's such a bad name. It's so bad. Is, is in town. And Ottawa is back in the thick of it. There is a new leader of this biker convoy, and his name is Neil Sheard. So I'm on the Instagram page called Ottawa Convoy Report, which has presumably run by someone in Ottawa, some leftist. They are providing a lot of really helpful information and resources for people in Ottawa. Um, if you're in Ottawa, check them out. So... From the Ottawa Convoy Report Instagram account, they put out this post about Neil Sheard, and I'll just quote it here. So, quote, he is known outside of the biker convoy for his participation in Freedom Convoy 2022, for defacing the Peterborough Cenotaph while holding an upside-down Canadian flag, and for threatening to have the heads of Peterborough public health executed. He was also handed a cease and desist letter after handing out propaganda letters for QAnon cult leader Queen Ramona. I would love to know more about her. Um, Sheard was spotted at several Freedom Convoy events in February, which he claims is unrelated to Rolling Thunder. What the fuck? How do you even claim that? He says that the new convoy aims to restore dignity to the war memorial, which was desecrated and urinated on by convoy supporters in February. After the city of Ottawa erected fencing to protect the monument, members of the Veterans for Freedom group disassembled it. Many veteran groups, including the Royal Canadian Legion, have publicly opposed the group's misuse of the Canadian flag. The official Rolling Thunder program guide indicates there is, in fact, a strong link between the biker convoy, freedom convoy, and anti-vax rhetoric. Yeah, no shit. The headline speaker at Parliament Hill is listed as Chris Skye, a well-known anti-vax figure and Holocaust denier. Sheard's group is in no way affiliated to the United States Rolling Thunder advocacy group that seeks to bring accountability for POWs. End quote. So I'm not exactly sure what this post is is uh, referring to with him defacing a cenotaph in Petersboro. I did look into it. Um, he definitely stood on a cenotaph and gave a speech with an upside-down Canadian flag. And in that speech, he compared um, the Holocaust and all of the horrific things that happened to the Jewish population during that time with the pandemic and all of the things that are happening to anti-vaxxers, essentially, which is obviously an absolutely 
ridiculous and offensive comparison to make. Um, I just wanted to call out that I'm not exactly sure what they meant with the word defacing. And I couldn't also find anything about the threats he uttered to the Peterborough Public Health. But I know that a lot of these things come from just random social media posts that people find and see so they can and do tend to be difficult to verify. So um, as of as of yesterday, there was like a lot of shit happening in Ottawa. Um, people are getting arrested, you know, tons of protests going through the city, lots of honking again, a ton of traffic blocking uh, the city. Like there's absolute chaos once again in Ottawa this weekend. And I don't know what else we can say about it really, because it's ongoing. Um, it seems like more of the same shit and I hope it doesn't go on as long, but we don't know what's going to happen. So. I wish they, I'm all for political movements, but I wish they were more coherent. <laughs> like yeah. I wish they had a single-minded objective and then they knew how to actually plan for that objective instead of just going well, to Ottawa and making noise. Well, but this this is going back to what we were talking about, right? This is the far right uses the convoy for their own interests. So like, right, yeah. So it's like th- there's no way they could all have a single agenda when we have these other extremist groups coming in and being like, right, we're gonna use this to recruit and to make noise and to just push our own agendas forward. Um, it makes it really complicated to have any type of singular agenda when it's getting used in that way. Um. There, I have a, I quoted an article here from the star. Uh, it's called, was it really about vaccine mandates or something darker? The inside story of the convoy protests. Um, quote, the convoy protest was not about just the pandemic, nor could it have happened without the pandemic. Organizers were able to leverage fatigue and frustration within government restrictions and social isolation to grow their movement, drawing on one particular potent conspiracy theory in the process. The idea that an international cabal has taken control of Canada and is weaponizing the pandemic to consolidate its dominance. This occupation was marketed as the last stand to stop tyranny and has become a global rallying cry for a burgeoning anti-media, anti-science, anti-government political force. End quote. Is there anything more you want to say about how the far right uses things like the convoy or... Anything like that? Yeah, I think we talked about this in episode one. Uh, I think it, it is still important to clarify that they are a minority in Canada. This is fringe. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to paint the groups that they're involved with, like the Freedom Convoy, as also far-right extremists. Maybe but- not extremists, but I think we can safely put them in the right category. <laughs> They're right. Um, how far right they are, I'm not sure. Well, how probably radi- depends, right? How radical they are, I'm not sure. Right? Like, I wouldn't... While the alt-right and the far right are involved in the Freedom Convoy, I'm not sure if the majority of the Freedom Convoy are alt-right and far right. Fair, yeah. Right? And so that that's just important to note that it's important to be cautious about the ideas that are spread because they're pernicious. And they penetrate many aspects of our political landscape. But as well, we can't, you know, discredit an entire movement because a few a few people happen to be from the far right as well. Is there a part of you that feels like this movement is like, I don't want to use the word ridiculous because 
I know that there's there's probably some reasonable people that have reasonable opinions and thoughts about it, but I don't look at this movement and think organized, you know, good points. You know, I think I think chaos. Like it doesn't feel it doesn't feel to me like just a benign political movement. I guess it's been relatively peaceful. Just if you look at how political movements are usually done, the ones that are happening in Canada right now, they're aggressive for for Canadian standards, sure, but in the grand scheme of things, they're they're relatively peaceful. It could be much, I think it could be a lot worse. Mm-hmm. But I agree with you. I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's the most sensible movement. Mm-hmm. It's not done in the in the most intelligent way. Mm-hmm. I and a lot of other people are pretty confused as to what they're after and what they're trying to do and why if they were like more together about it and again we've 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 drawn this criticism at them like numerous times is that they keep going to ottawa and like ottawa isn't going to solve all of their problems i also have problems with the canadian government but i'm like i just don't know i don't think they're going about it necessarily the best way right no yeah I, i agree it's not it's not the most sensible necessarily so yeah i guess there's not much more to say. The convoy is ongoing. If it keeps going on, maybe we'll do another episode on it because this thing will not end. Although, there's really not much more to say. It's it's just all, it's more of the same shit. I don't it's see more anything. more of the same, yeah. The only thing that's new is like there's new leaders. There's, you know, now they're on bikes instead of trucks. <laughs> but, yeah. That's that on that. So, any any closing thoughts, Dylan, before we wrap it all up just uh be cautious out there people be careful yeah yeah be careful there's a lot of this shit online um and uh as always like do your own research too we're not like perfect journalists not on facebook <laughs> yeah don't go on facebook yeah yeah we are not journalists that's let's make that clear we are just hobby deep yeah. divers <laughs> yeah all right well if there's nothing else i think we can end it here thanks so much for being here again dylan Thank you for having me. As always, if you're listening, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate the support. If you'd like to check out our show notes for this episode or episode one, we do have a website. It's www.hellosubmarinepodcast.com. Just go click on the episodes link. And then for each episode, there's a show notes button. And that's where you can find all of our resources. So thanks again and take care out there. (laughs) 